Let's go, focus, breathe. Now pull the thing up. Go, 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 go. Up, you've got it, Rawdon. You've got it. Stand, stand up! Very good, mate. Hello and welcome. This is Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast. And uh, for our male listeners out there, I hope you've mm. been working on extending your life expectancy. Yes, as instructed. As instructed, I hope for our female listeners, you've been yes. uh, assisting your males. Yes. Extend doing their bit, their life expectancy. Yes. Uh, out of the kitchen briefly to uh, fulfil those uh, needs. And then <laughs> <laughs> joking. <laughs> <laughs> joking. Oh man, oh, you're joking. Right. Well, very interesting. Very interesting. Joking. Got a big show coming up on the Clean Health Podcast today. We're talking to Mark Buckley. He's our special guest. Oh, yeah. Mark Buckley from FMA. And you've had quite a bit to do with him, Rawdon, over the years. I have, yeah. uh, You respect quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. A few years now. I did uh, FMA Level 1 back in the day and uh, did FMA just last Level 2 last year. Yeah, but lots of... Lots of uh, awesome information and um, went through the various strengths. And we're going to talk about a few of those methods, actually. Conjugate method, uh, Westside Barbell. We, we sort of broke down the, the do's and don'ts and the how-to with, with, I guess, powerlifting and strength training. But, it, it, yeah, great certifications. Mark Buckley, really, really smart guy. Yeah, the thing I like about him is his, uh, the technical adherence Ooh, yeah. with Mark Buckley. Yes. He really bridges the gap between rehab and then gaining strength and, yeah. uh, and everything systemized and smart guy, well-organized. So I look forward to having a chat with Mark. Yep. In sticking with the strength training theme, yeah, having Mark Buckley on the program, we're going to have a bit of an overview of strength training, just yeah. the basics, the fundamentals, how we apply that down at the CHBC. Our supplement of the week, we're going to look at a strength training stack. Yeah, I think just, these are all supplements that we've mentioned on the program yeah. before. Yep. Uh, and how you can use them to uh, get the most out of your strength training workouts. Our superfood segment of the week, we're looking at truffle butter. Truffle butter, yes. <laughs> Truffle butter. That is super. This one's for our uh, opera- <laughs> operations manager, That's for you, Emily, down at... No, we're not really looking at truffle butter, but no. if you'd like to Google what truffle butter is, then uh, feel free to. And, Rawdon, you and I will go through truffle butter on the uh, restricted podcast yes, at, for, at a later uh, date. Yeah, the, the X-rated yeah, for, uh, <laughs> podcast. But <laughs> That's very X-rated. Very, very X-rated. We've got the... Uh, we're, re- we're bringing back the, uh, the cheat meal, Tom. Why not? Well, I had a big one on the weekend, so yeah. I thought that was worthy of the <laughs> to be discussed on the podcast, yes. and uh, people will be disgusted. And how, how how can he have that sort of? He talks about going gluten free, and then has that. I mean, there'll be a few people thinking that, but so be you it. You know, when in Rome, warts and all, warts and all. Yes, I've got uh, no warts, but yeah. <laughs> and we'll spin Cam's massive wheel of fortune. Oh yeah, and pluck a winner for the Clean Health Podcast pack. And, of course, our disclaimer, everything we do talk about is just something we've had experience with, touch and touch, blah, blah, blah. Not the only way to do it. You can do it any way you like. Yes. Contact us, podcast at cleanhealth.com.au. But before we do any of that, Rawdon, we have uh, a listener question which has come through via the email. Mm-hmm podcast at cleanhealth.com.au and, and feel free to send through any questions that you have out there or mm. uh, you know any ideas, contributions to the program. This is from Scott Druitt. Scott, thank you very much for emailing in. Hi, I love your podcast. It is very helpful and informative. Mm. I have a bit of a long question. 
I work shift work and my sleep is all over the place. I am continually trying to put on lean muscle and lose fat. Join the crew. Mm, Uh, mm, However, mm. it is a constant mission and battle. I have tried different programs which I have purchased over the net. I am currently doing the program from... Won't mention the name. I am saving up to purchase an online program package from you in the future. Uh, After listening to the podcast 19 with Dan Garner, he mentioned that if you do not get adequate sleep, you will not have real success in body transformation or competing. I am constantly trying to get my body fat down and feel that I am wasting my time doing hypertrophy style training and trying to get lean and big. I am 43 years old and like I said, a shift worker working 12 hour shifts night and day. I can never seem to get my body fat down much lower than 20% and have never been near the 10% mark which I would like to be. Can you give some advice with training while working different shifts and sleep patterns? I feel I am wasting my time and money trying to get lean at the moment. It is very frustrating. Thank you and kind regards, Scott. Okay. It's a tough one, this one, because we, we do harp on about sleep. Yes. And shift workers really have it tough because there's no, there's no pattern, there's no consistency. Mm. Uh, mm. You're really throwing the body out. Yeah. I mean, it would, it would almost be better if it was you know, a constant pattern of, of working nights, sleeping days, and then you'd be able to set up some sort of routine. But anytime those variables, be it sleep or training or you know nutrition timing uh nutrition caloric intake whenever those variables are all over the place you know some days you don't get the calories in other days you you do it's very hard to you don't know what to manipulate you don't know what to place emphasis on if there's so many variables that are out of whack so with uh scott with scott's uh situation i guess you would have to find out what he's doing nutritionally and what he's doing training wise before you could really delve in there could be some discrepancy there yes um, I think you're exactly right there Matt I mean you have to find out what, what the variables that you can control and make yes. sure all of those things are actually being executed perfectly in the first place yeah or well, as close to perfectly as possibly can mm. um, and it might be a case of where when the the shift work allows that might be a period where you do go more aggressively for fat loss and then when it's not so conducive to, uh, and it's a bit all over the shop, maybe that's when you're just in a holding pattern. So you might want to look at uh, body composition change uh, in stages, i.e. put stress on the body when it can handle stress, and then when it's all over the place, you know, just sort of uh, go through the motions and, and, and maintain, mm. rather than constantly pushing and, and, and trying to cause the body to change. Because we know the body doesn't want to change, and we're forcing it to, but if, if too many of the the key players are not in your favor then you really are attempting the impossible you know and and, and sleep's obviously a big one so i don't know whether his uh work and sleep patterns uh change so maybe you know he has two weeks where where he does work like a more traditional shift through the day and he sleeps night but then he goes back into the you know the the working through the night and uh, not through the day so that's the first thing. I'll see if there's any sort of consistency uh, that you could develop a plan around. Yep. I would look at ensuring that, you know, when I was sleeping, that the conditions were, were paramount for a deep sleep. Yes. Because the, the quality of sleep needs to be there. So things like making sure the, you know, the room is, uh, if you're sleeping through the day, pitch black, an analog clock in the room, you know, not a digital uh, well, digital, yeah, but not like a, a phone uh, near the bed or if it is, put it on... Um, not something with a Wi-Fi flight connection. Mode. Yeah, no, no Wi-Fi. In all the things we talk about in improving sleep, you know, some supplementation to uh, 
to help him get into a, a deeper sleep uh, straight away, sooner rather than later. You know, your melatonin, your magnesium, your phosphatidylserine, you know, to blunt cortisol and, and put you in a slumberous uh, state. The, uh, the Fennibut uh, would be a good option there as well, but some supplementation to induce sleep quality. Yep. But then, yeah, once you've got all the sleep uh, side of things as good as it can be, uh, we'd be looking at the, the actual training and, and whether he is periodizing his training, whether he is going through different training methods, whether it's, uh, you know, he's explored undulating periodization, he's doing intensi- uh, intensification phases, volume phases, uh, whether there is some method to the madness in regards to training, that could be another variable that you could uh, look at. Uh, on top of that, you could also look at the nutrition, the fundamentally, mm. you know, is, is he in a uh, caloric surplus to, uh, is he doing any sort of nutritional periodization, the basics there for the him basics to progress from. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then maybe also his uh, his job is particularly stressful because yeah. even the the feel of the email it was it was of angst. It was like I, I, I can just never I can't get past this twenty percent. You know, precisely. And, and it sounds like you know it's almost the case of if you uh, want it so bad, it's not going to happen. You know, mm. the focus on uh, perhaps building muscle, and then the body composition will come. You know, rather than getting obsessed with the leaning out and building, because yep. it can happen, as we know. But, but um, you know, one of the key players of being able to put muscle on in a caloric deficit is is obviously the sleep and the traditional mm. sleeping patterns, and certainly not shift work. Yeah, I think back to what Menno Henselman's said, Rorden, about um, controlling the variables that you can control and making sure that everything is actually set up right. Yes. So, perfect storm, obviously. Mm. You can't have a perfect storm with shift work and yep. sleep patterns out like that, but I think you could create a storm which is good enough to get someone from at least 20% down much closer to that 10% mark. Getting someone on stage might be a harder thing, but we yeah, definitely 4 I mean, to 5%, but uh, mm. 10% I think would be doable. Is the protein adequate? Are yep. there enough fats? How is yep. digestion? Yep. Is the level of training, he's going for hypertrophy-style training, maybe with the kind of sleep that he's getting and the stressful nature of his lifestyle, maybe the training is just a little bit too much for his body to recover from. Who yeah. knows? And we we need to get some more information from him too. More information. And if he does email in and he does give us a bit more info, we can delve back into this case study. But but then you, you've also got the, uh, is he training hard enough, Tom? I mean, yes. uh, How long is that piece of string? How long is that piece of string, exactly. But, I mean, that is a variable that I see inadequate time and time again you know and and i go through phases where i'm training and i go through phases where i'm training hard and you know it's it's a massive difference you know um so it could be he's training but not training hard enough to elicit the change or like you said it's uh with the stress of everything it's too much uh stress so yeah lots of things we need to look at there so i hope we've uh, answered your question scott by not really answering your question it's confused you nicely that's what i call polywaffle polywaffle Under the Bar with Rorden and Tom, Clean Health Podcast. Coming up on the show, Mark Buckley from yes. FMA, Force Equals Mass Times Acceleration. Uh, a bit of an overview of strength training. You know, I guess strength training or an element of, of neural work, I tend to, to not get too uh, complex with my strength training for my clients because uh, I'm more from the, the, the angle of I'm trying to stimulate hypertrophy and hypertrophy is a combination of myofibular and sarcoplasmic, so volume training and strength training. Although you could argue, argue that sarcoplasmic is, you know, and it is pretty much all myofibular. So 
Um, but point being is, I guess two types of hypertrophy recognized. And so from my perspective, it's not so much about hitting huge numbers mm -hmm. and developing maximal strength. It's more yes. about stimulating those fibers and doing strength training to elicit a body composition yeah. change for my guys and girls. Precisely. It's similar to something that Christian Tippy Toes said on the show yep. a few weeks back. If you are doing those lower repetitions, the one to threes, consider them an investment in your future hypertrophy. Yeah. Because you develop the ability to stimulate those faster twitch fibers. Yeah. And then obviously when you increase your volume, system. you develop the nervous system, you can, you can train with more weight for more repetitions and also, you know, how to access those muscle fibers. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I guess, fundamentally the, the big difference with you know, a first time in the, and there's always exceptions to the rule. I mean, some guys, girls will come in and pick a weight up and they can lift a ton of weight. You know, they're just very neurally efficient and they, you know, their genetic makeup is a ton of those fast twitch muscle fibers. Mm. But, you know, for the average punter, I, I will confess, most of the time, especially for my females, you know, I do spend a lot of the time with that strength work, not necessarily to get their huge numbers up, but just so you can set up those movement patterns. Uh, it, it, more patterns of recruiting those those muscles like they need to be recruited and, and switch on those high threshold mode units or those fast twitch muscle fibers because you know like you said then when we increase the, the volume they can live for a higher percentage of their 1RM when they do the volume elicit yes. more damage more recovery more growth at the end of the day for my clientele it's all about uh, building muscle you know yeah. and, um, and there's you know better coaches to go see for strength exactly. and, and I'm the first to admit that yep. you know if you want to get strong probably I can get you strong but but super strong um, that's not my my field of expertise but getting strong is and, and that getting strong is is something that that I always maintain for my clients right up to to game days to to make the strength always part of their training because mm. not only is it you know from a hypertrophy perspective essential I think for a conditioning and, and retaining muscle mass, it's essential when they get on yes. stage. Well, that's actually something which has developed for myself over the last few months and even just doing the podcast and talking to some of the guests that we've we've had and that yeah. focus on keeping weight sessions for building muscle or developing strength yeah. and not using resistance training for specifically fat loss. Now, if yeah. you have a purely a fat loss client, someone who has to lose a lot of body fat, then obviously train with a high amount of volume yep. uh, and use the that weight training session as a fat mm. loss stimulus. But for someone who's chasing pure body composition, i.e. Yeah. retaining muscle and dropping body fat, yeah. then uh, what has been working wonders for my clients since I've been doing it is just keeping them in relative strength to functional hypertrophy, low yeah. repetitions, focusing on their strength and their numbers, and then working on dropping body fat through caloric restriction and uh, cardio outside of that because obviously if someone's in a massive caloric deficit and you give them high volume if you look at it on paper you'd say it's a hypertrophy workout if the yeah. raw material isn't there to build the muscle yeah we actually end up spinning your wheels you burn muscle you lose muscle mm, potentially definitely but yeah so um uh, what you're just saying there mate in terms of retaining muscle mass enjoying the actual the process of losing fat and, yeah. and keeping strength at the same time yeah and i think uh, Someone who's uh, strong, it's always a good feeling to be uh, to push those numbers and, and yeah. get those little wins along the way. Sure, they've got that end goal, that body comp, but then along the way they have these little strength goals. Although we're not obsessing about the numbers, it's nice to, to have that linear progression and mm. that progressive overload and hit those numbers week to week. Um, yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I think from a, a, a client compliance perspective, just so people, you know, generally if, if an individual understands the process, they're going to follow it. Like it just makes sense. So they'll apply themselves to it. Um, and, you know, when you do differentiate, okay, 
I want you to focus on, you know, having a killer workout, you know, try and get, lift as heavy as you can. But, you know, this workout is for maintaining, building muscles. Yes. Then when you're finished here, that's your anabolic period. And then you're, you know, first thing in the morning or whatever, whenever they do do their cardiovascular training or they're in a caloric deficit on, the, on their off days or whatever, whatever you, the tools are that you're using to drop body fat. Um, they're the times that they're actually uh, actively dropping body fat. Although collectively, it's all contributing to body fat yes. loss. But um, but that clarity allows much better ad- ad- adherence to the to the program. I find. Mm. So some of the other benefits of strength training, Rawdon, apart from obviously the strength that you get and the, developing that uh, nice dense muscle fiber, contractile yep. muscle fiber, it strengthens all of your joints and your ligaments and your tendons. Yes. Um, if you are an athlete, of course, it really does enhance athletic performance. The, the stronger you are, the better you'll be at any sport you play, whether it's American football or, or darts, yeah. Or snooker. Yeah. And uh, neural efficiency. One of the key things about strength training is the actual mechanism of sending a message from your brain through your central nervous system to recruit muscle fiber to perform that action under yeah. load and something that they've learned more and more about these days they we, we know that the the formally held position that the brain is basically a physiologically static organ is not true anymore we know that the brain develops and strength training or learning any new skill or learning a language or something mm. like that does lay down new neural pathways it, it expands the capacity of the brain and that's hypertrophy of the brain <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the great it's things a- about about strength training you for a beginner obviously learning how to lift weights is a new skill a new motor yeah. pattern but for someone who's more advanced moving into lower repetitions where you're really challenging the central nervous system yeah. does have wonderful benefits in terms of maintaining cognitive health longer term yeah 100 percent um but I guess, you know, there, there is always that uh, situation where you do st- fry the nervous system, oh, yes. Tom, where you do overstimulate the nervous system. Maybe it's that, you know, that, that in- actually the intro to the show, um, you know, is, is, is Dane, actually. That's me. I did 260, which is not huge by any stretch of the imagination, deadlift. But, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. And for me at the time, it was um, at, you know, I think I was uh, just over 90 kilos. It was reasonable. Um, but that, I mean, I was, I, I remember driving home from that one and I was almost in this, this delirious state and I went into some sessions and, you know, I was, I was sort of, uh, just wasn't with it. Like mentally I was, and it, it took actually quite a, I think it was about like a week before I was, um, you know, mentally uh, able to sort of get back in the gym with any mm. decent effort and, um, yeah, it was really bizarre like that really and it was a long drawn out concentric for that one so it was probably about 10 or 11 seconds of, of pulling to through pull the, the thing, pull up, the thing yeah. on the floor so it really really fried the nervous system yes. for me it was it was it was quite an experience and and i think you know i brought it up on the show before but i, I think you the most recent one for you was when you were um doing the, i mean you can tell us about it but the benoit program and yeah yeah I, I just basically got pinned under the bar got pinned under the, under the bar twice on a weight which i knew that I could lift and for whatever reason maybe I was already starting to get a little bit neurally fatigued going into yeah. that was the last week of the program and I just yep. got stuck under the bar in a in that state where you know you you should be able to lift it and there's no one around and, you, and so you fight for everything you've possibly got like mm. you would have done pulling yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, long yeah. slow concentric deadlift and it just exhausts all of the juice that's uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's in there but you're saying you felt quite uh, depressed after that I yeah think i felt recall. i had a really agitated sleep i was depressed and unable to function the next day like i, I just didn't know why yeah. until you and i had spoken afterwards and yeah. um and it all kind of clicked in the year and i said oh hang on 
That's why yeah. I can't get any work well, well, done. Well, when you um, say you spoke about it afterwards, it was me giving you, you know, because you were screaming out for help and I was <laughs> yeah. giggling over the other side of the gym saying, you'll be right. You'll be right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, interesting. Like you mentioned, mate, we're essentially about uh, building muscle no matter what we're doing in the gym and obviously strength training will contribute to that and it's yep. more of a functional hypertrophy is what they call it. The adaptation of the muscular system is developing contractile muscle fibers as opposed yep. to actually swelling the size of the yeah. muscle cells that, that, the that we have. The myofibrils, yeah. those little bad boys. <laughs> those little bad Myosinactin boys. Myosinactin and those sorts of things. They're getting too technical. And so that form of hypertrophy is maybe a little slower to come on. You've got to work a little harder for it, but it's yeah. also a bit more permanent. Yes. And it does provide a nice, harder, denser quality to the muscle. Seems to, yeah, yeah, yeah. it really does. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess without, you know, blow my own trumpet, but, you know, the like I have lifted sort of reasonably heavy most of the time or, or some sort of element of, of strength training. And when I have had in the past, and you've worked with me for a few years now, and, and I do have a layoff, I, I don't really lose a, a ton of size. Like no. I, I keep most of my muscle mass, whereas you'll see other other clients, they disappear from the gym and, and they're relative new to training, but they've done predominantly volume type training and then they come back and they've lost all their size. Mm. And, you know, so yeah, I, I agree. It does sort of uh, a, bit, a little more permanent, like you said. Okay, supplementation in terms of strength training, Rawdon. We've mentioned a number of things over the course of the podcast, different supplements at certain times to yeah for different things, but we thought if we stack a few of those together, um, you get a pretty tidy little strength enhancement. Yes. So caffeine is one that we've discussed on the show before yeah. and uh, as a, a pre-workout, as a stimulant, um, yeah. very effective. Yeah, yeah, it is uh, a vasoconstrictor, so you wouldn't want to necessarily use it before you did any sort of volume training. Mm-hmm. But uh, great for uh, making you a little more uh, sharp, I guess, and that, that, that focus a little more intense for the, for the strength training, definitely. Um, but it, with, with the, the caffeine, mate, I have noticed that it can make you a little, uh, get you a little more gassed a little more quickly. So for some, definitely um, dosage related, like some people will respond well with with a you know 200 milligrams of caffeine mm-hmm. other people i know poliquin loves caffeine and he's up around 600 milligrams before a, a strength training session but um you know other people won't respond that well to it and and for me if i have too much caffeine too much then to tip I, you over yeah i just get like very um short of breath and and, and, and almost it uh, over excites my, uh, my nervous system so yeah it doesn't really i do have a bit of caffeine i mean mm-hmm. i love it around uh uh, fat loss training, but, um, but any sort of neural training, I, I tend to, yeah, I don't respond well with the, with the caffeine. But for many, yes, a go-to supplement for strength training. Mm. Alpha GPC, it uh, rapidly delivers choline across the blood-brain barrier yeah. and uh, essentially enhances cognitive function, yeah. uh, which is precisely what you're after when you're strength training, trying to uh, be as focused mentally as you possibly can so that you execute movement patterns really efficiently. Yeah. Alpha GPC is one that's known to uh, really assist in that process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, a lot of the guys at, at the CHPC will use the Alpha GPC. Yeah. Uh, and I know, again, to, to mention names, Poliquin's a big fan of the, the Alpha GPC. Yep. Um, another one, Rawdon, creatine. Not so much a, a cognitive enhancer, but something which actually helps with the, the energy you can generate from the yeah. muscle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So will work more for some than others 
those that it works very well for uh, have a tendency to not store very much creatine in the body. Mm. Um, so creatine does get stored in the muscle, and when you immediately um, you know produce energy, the muscle contracts. It will use those creatine stores, and then it will use. Uh, creatine phosphate to, uh, will to, well a- ATP is stored in the muscle that'll get yep. exhausted then the creatine phosphate will actually replenish, replenish ADP back to ATP so you can keep uh, the energy being produced so creatine uh, if you're low and you don't store much will make a massive difference because that raw material will be there but if you're an individual who already has a, a high saturation of, because you get it in the foods you eat, red mm. meat very high, um, if you already have a high saturation of creatine, then it's not going to make a massive difference. But yeah, it's one of the ones that actually has been shown to have, um, you know, very significant uh, strength and hypertrophy gains yeah. associated with it for, for some individuals. So that's a, a lot of a lot of good research. Uh, behind creatine, creatine. And that would definitely be uh, part of any anyone's supplementation if you're in the business of getting strong at building muscle I always make sure that my guys and girls do supplement creatine yep three to five grams three to five grams I mean I mean traditionally you would load it five grams for five days and then um, just yeah three to five grams uh, each time you train doesn't necessarily have to be pre or post workout mm-hmm. you know you all you're doing is topping up your creatine stores once loaded so yeah, pretty easy to supplement, and, and no negative health concerns uh, have really been reported with creatine. Righto, Rawdon. So after everything we've said on previous episodes about yes, uh, gut health, avoid various things. Yeah, avoiding food, eliminating goal foods, goal setting, uh, refeeds. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're there to hit baseline and not spill over. Yeah. And the science behind. You don't that. want to take two steps backwards. No, no, don't no. get too big a cheat meal. Exactly, exactly. So, but uh, you, you've you've flaunted. Yes. Uh, everything we've spoken about in flagrant yeah. disrespect for Under the Bar. Well, it was purely uh, for research on Under the Bar, Tom. <laughs> I didn't particularly want so, to eat that much food. But so we're, we're bringing back the cheat meal segment, uh, basically for Rawdon to, re- to uh, repent his sins. Yes, and, pretty much. Uh, and share Forgive them me, Tom, for I have sinned. In a forum where then perhaps our other listeners can... Uh, can well, you, you can remain nameless if you like. Yes. But feel free to send in the emails Email, of, yep. of, the, of the horrific cheat meals... That you've had, because there's got to be some doozies out there, especially after. Have I mean, quite a few uh, just competed. Oh yeah, maybe some of my clients can confess, confess. On, the, on the podcast. Yes. Like, yeah, I've told me already, but you know, they can remain remain anonymous for sure. So you can send in an email to podcast at cleanhealth.com.au with all of your best cheat meals. If you do better than this, then you've done very well. And this was over the span of several hours, I gather. Oh uh, well, only because logistically I had to drive home. Right, right, right. Because uh, you know it was. Uh, well, I, uh, my other half, uh, she told me that um, she'd uh, chug, chugged down a, a Big Mac for the first time. and uh, Unusual for her. Yes. And, of course, I did uh, give her the, oh, what are you having that for? Gluten, dairy. And then I thought, well, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the, uh, whatever that saying is, I don't know. <laughs> but um, so I thought I'll, I'll outdo that one. I think she had a, a, a Big Mac and some fries or whatever. Right. And so I thought, okay. You know, me being the the big big man about the house, I got to out do that. So I um, through the drive through, uh, I had uh, so uh, a, a grand Angus, right? Grand Angus meal, large. <laughs> right. So that comes with a with a large uh, Coke and a, 
um, just to spike insulin levels. Cause, you know, intramuscular fat stores had to make yep. sure they're all catered for. Yeah, that's right. Having trained, you know, a couple of days earlier. Exactly. You want yes. fatty acids and carbohydrates yes. floating around the bloodstream <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, it tastes yeah, yeah. so good. Okay. Anyway, so a Grand Angus burger, and then uh, then uh, this. Uh, it was really funny. I said, and I'll have a uh, a Big Mac. Too. Oh no, hold on, because I saw this sign. Is that apparently there's a Mega Mac out? Oh, a Mega Mac. Yeah, it's got like like the uh, Big Mac's got triple patties. I think this has got three layers of triple patties. So oh, I think there might be nine patties. No. I don't know. There's lots of patties anyway. <laughs> I didn't count them. Ruined Dubai were all over it. Yes. Okay. It's like the biggest one, the most expensive burger. Anyway, so a Mega, Mega Mac. Mac. Yep. All right, we're going to Mega Mac. Okay. And then I thought, Tick. you know, I do quite like the fries. I might go an extra large fries as well. So that was it. Of course, you would have had a large fries as the, part of the Grand Angus yeah, meal. Yeah, so okay. I had, uh, so essentially it wasn't that bad. It was two burgers. This is the first part of the cheese. So okay. bear yeah. with me. Yeah. So that's not too bad. It's like, yeah, a couple of burgers. What's he going on about? But then, anyway, so I chomped that on the way home. Drive through, it was nice in the car, you know, elbow on the steering wheel, one hand in the fries, the yeah. other hand with the burger in the mouth. A couple of fries down, the, down near the uh, pedals. And yeah, then, you yeah, know, for Danny the cleaner. Gherkin slips down into yep, the lap. Yeah, yep. on the F3, you know, yeah. driving with the elbow. Very yeah. responsible. Anyway, so I got that. But I did that primarily because I would micro-sleep on the way home. So yes. I had to stay awake somehow. Had to, had to, had so to. The, although the undulating blood sugar, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, you could have tried sending a few text messages at the same time as well. That probably would have kept you awake. No, I was Facebooking. Ah, right. So okay. just scrolling the yeah. news feed as yeah. well. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that was my toes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so anyway, I got home and then uh, I remember last time I was on the podcast, uh, uh, I spoke about the, the custard bath, you know, yes. so I thought, well, why not go back there? And sure dairy bloat me, bloats, I think now, three, four days later. Still I, bloated. Still bloated, you yep. know, still reaping the, uh, you know, the Ill, Ill effects of that. But anyway, so when got the, the I went into one... <laughs> It's a true story. Went into one Coles and uh, and they only had litre custards and I, and I wanted a big two litre chug, you know, it's like the, the milk one. <laughs> yes. And then they didn't have um, Ben and Jerry's. It's like, what the, I mean, there's plenty of other ice cream there, but no, it had to be Ben and Jerry's. So, right. like, screw this, bang. Stomped out of there, you know, because uh, the blood sugar would come back down. Quite angry about that too, you know, it yeah. was quite cranky. Yeah, cold sweat. Yeah, surly. No grateful log that night, mate, I can no. tell you. Anyway, so ducked into the next one, got my two-litre jug of custard, got the Ben & Jerry's chock fudge ice cream. I had uh, gluten-free cookies yep. uh, as well, a packet of those. Gluten-free, nice touch. Yes, yes. got to avoid the gluten. After the burgers. <laughs> and the, and the uh, chock fudge ice cream. Yeah, I don't know why I got gluten-free, but yeah. habit. Uh, a few choc- uh, bits of chocolate in there, Cadbury's, but this is all floating in the custard bath. I'll tell you how it is in a second. And anyway, then I had... Uh, the um, gluten-free banana bread. Oh you know, yes, just you know, gluten- some banana gluten-free. bread as anyway, well. Anyway, go home. Nice so touch. big, sort of. It's the you know those huge uh, cooking bowls, like a salad know. bowl. Yeah, salad bowl. One yeah. of those. So glugged all the the custard. It was glug 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 glug. It was and it two liters. It was a bit too much. Like it was. Oh my god! It was up to the top of the bowl almost. And I still had to get my ice cream and all the cookies and cake in there. Uh, the Ben and Jerry sort of loosened it up a little bit, took the lid off, turned it upside down, gave it a squeeze, and blunk yeah. in the middle of the <laughs> in the middle of the bowls. This Bombs is sort of poking like a volcano in the middle of the yes. uh, the custard sea, you know. Yes, yes. Anyway, then I, I and I did have the like I mentioned to you the sultanas, you know, plumping up in the fridge from earlier. It was pre pre prepared, pre yep. premeditated. This yep. uh, this this crime. This is salt. And then, uh, so I dumped those in, so they were floating around, the, the sultanas, sort of, and they were very juicy at that stage. They'd been Plump. there for a good five or six hours in the fridge. Yes. Then I got the uh, banana bread, and I can only crumble half in, because it was getting really full now. The custard was near the top, so half of the banana bread, so that was sort of soaking up the custard. And then um, the cookies, crushed those up, you know, the gluten-free, of course. 
Uh, I gotta watch that gluten, folks. And then, um, anyway, then sort of carried two hands out to carry this bowl. It was so bloody heavy. And it was top heavy, you know, because the cuff yes. was sloshing around. It was like a or stone yeah. carry. Stone carry, stone yeah. Carry. Very technically challenging. It was yes. the hardest lift you could do. Very nearly demanding. And I plonked down and put a movie on and uh, and then sort of sat it on my lap and, and, and quite a small spoon, so it would take much longer to, to consume. And then, uh, I mean, to be honest, I only got through about half of it, and I was I was bursting at the seams, and uh, my my belly button gone from an any to an Audi, and I knew it was time to call it quits. Yes. And so I pulled the pin and uh, went and hopped into straight into bed, you know, because that's what you of know, course yeah yeah best thing to do. Go to bed full. in a full stomach. Yep. Yeah. Should uh, sleep well. Sleep very well. Yep. And then uh, yeah, I propped myself up there, put some pillows behind the head, and uh, and I was out like I slept all like a log. Oh, did you? Yeah, very good. That carb coma, but. Um, felt yeah pretty seedy the next day as you should mate as you should afterwards but not a bad because i don't you know i don't that's well out of character of me lady you know i've been pretty tight with uh, with my nutrition and obviously you know chasing the body composition but that was a real that had a big uh, psychological implication on that one that was quite significant because i was a bit you spat the dummy yeah i had been training hard with with, uh, pushing the body pretty hard and and for me that was uh, obviously it hadn't (laughs) pretty much zero benefit physiologically um, pretty sure it uh, put me backwards for a bit but um, but psychologically it was, it was it was quite rewarding but uh, yeah that was my cheat meal of the week very yeah. very good if there's anyone out there that can beat that a mm-hmm. uh, couple of burgers couple of fries cokes two liters of custard banana bread cookies yep sultanas pre-prepared pre-meditated Ben and Jerry's and assault on the system uh, send us an email podcast at cleanhealth.com.au Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's that time again. The Under the Bar Clean Health podcast pack giveaway. The Spin the Wheel of Fortune. What do they get, Cam? Tom? Well, mate, they get the, the, they get the podcast pack, the deluxe shaker, the stainless steel water bottle, the drawstring mm-hmm, gym bag, mm-hmm. a cooler bank for all of your meals. The value is through the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam's going to take a run up from out near the bathrooms, your sprint best shot, in here Cam. and spin that wheel. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Oh. Wow. That was yeah, a big one. Some gusto on that one. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, some gusto on that one. It's Such of the uh, this is up around near, truffle butter This could on be near f- the 400s. Yep. It's uh, th- 397. Subscriber number 397, which I'll just... Oh, no, very authentic. Yeah. And it going. is uh, Roslyn Orr. Yeah. Roslyn Orr wins oh, the Ros. podcast pack. The cafe go. stands and applauds. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. There we go, Roslyn. Well, you'll get an email from some sort of management uh-huh. person about uh-huh. some sort of address to send you out some sort of prize. And uh, a very good prize. And if you'd like to be part of the subscriber raffle, then log on to the Clean Health website, www.cleanhealth.com.au forward slash podcast. Enter your name and uh, email, blah, blah, blah. D- get the prize. Yes. All the above. All right, you are listening to Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast. It's been a big show already, Rawdon, and our Very special big. guest that we mentioned at the top of the program is Mark Buckley. For those of you who don't uh, don't know Mark Buckley or not aware, he's, he's been in the industry for a good 20 years or so now, and broadly speaking, his field of expertise is uh, strength and conditioning, uh, but he owns a couple of gyms. He consults with uh, professional athletes across a whole range of different sports. I think these days he spends a fair bit of time lecturing and presenting on the international circuit yeah. but I guess where he's really carved his niche and oh, I guess his baby is his own strength training certification program mm-hmm. FMA 
force equals mass times acceleration. And I guess, Royden, what's uh, special about FMA is Mark's particular expertise for orthopedic rehabilitation and his profound understanding of human biomechanics and that forms the basis of the FMA certification. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did, uh, I mean, Mark will tell us about the evolution of FMA shortly, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I did the FMA a few years ago, level one, and uh, I just recently did level two, but both of them were, were very good. We can talk about that for sure. So I think he's coming from uh, Colombia at the moment. There's yes. been a few storms over there, but uh, I believe Mark is on the line. G'day, Mark. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the show, mate. And Rawdon touched on it just then, but perhaps you could explain the, uh, the evolution of I guess your career personally and also uh, FMA as a certification? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how long do we have for this, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> we got about half an hour, 40 minutes, mate. So, All right, I'd better keep it short then. <laughs> yeah. I guess it all started for me when I was a, a young tot in New Zealand and I remember my dad put on the, the first Rocky movie and uh, <laughs> yes. sat there and watched it, you know, the training and the music and it just sort of really moved me. And I kind of realised I was too pretty and, and too wussy really to become mm. a fighter. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I'll become a trainer yeah. and start working with athletes. And, and so that was always something that always attracted me. And like when I got into my own sort of training and got influenced, you know, by pumping iron, Arnold Schwarzenegger and all those sorts of things. So I went down the, the sort of the bodybuilding path, not very successfully, but you know, had, a, <laughs> had, a, had a nudge at it and started accumulating a, a lot of injuries along the way. And... Mm. You know, certain things like tearing muscles, separating my AC joint, doing stupid things like loading up the leg press with, with maximum weight and trying to hit 25 reps and end up giving myself a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage and getting rushed to hospital. And, <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, and the doctor told me that I was, I was very lucky to survive. And really? you know, I had one of those sort of moments laying in bed thinking, I think I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a so. hospital bed after being on the leg press, so there's yeah, there's a piece missing somewhere. Yeah, yeah. If we had more time, I'd tell you how that, that resulted in benign sexual headaches, but that's another story. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I thought there's got to be a better way to do this. So I started taking more interest in, in technique and all that. So you know, my first sort of real exposure to technique as such was through the Czech Institute with Paul Czech, mm. and that really opened my eyes up to this concept of, of corrective exercise, which I'd never really heard of before. You know, so I went down that path and, and found an interest in orthopedic rehabilitation. That led to me working in a hospital for two years as the head of musculoskeletal therapy and really got deeper and deeper into rehab before I took a step back and went, hang on, I'm, I'm going the wrong way. I, my passion still is, is training athletes. You know, I want to have that Rocky Balboa that I take all the way and, yeah. Yeah. and enjoy that. So I took a step out and decided to start pursuing my, my real interest, which was, was strength training. And, and that led me to, to meet people like Louis Simmons and so forth. And, you know, it was really interesting because, you know, as much as I, you know, enjoyed rehab and as much as I enjoyed strength and conditioning, you know, I realized that the two of them, even though they're very separate, they're, they're fundamentally, you know, based on the same sorts of principles. And we have this huge gap in the industry, this, this gray area, especially if you're interested in working athletes, you know, where we, we see a lot of athletes getting injured either under the bar or in their sport and things, and they get put into the rehabilitation model. And rehabilitation kind of by definition sort of comes to the end the moment the athlete gets back to their pre-injury state. Yep. And then when that happens, they go into their, their post-rehab and strength and conditioning sort of phases. And there's this gray area where people really are quite confused because, you know, if you work in the rehabilitative models, sorry, rehabilitation models, it's 
very, very labor intensive. You know, there's so much to study, so much to learn, so much to keep up to date with that you do become very disconnected from sort of end stage rehab strength and conditioning. And the same for strength and conditioning. You know, if you focus in that area, I mean, there's so much information coming out now. It's like a full-time profession just to study and keep up with it. Yeah. So it's, it's very hard for the two fields to sort of overlap and, and effectively communicate and, and work together. So what we see is athletes getting injured, they go into rehab, they come to the end of their rehabilitation stage, they start sort of, you know, post-rehab, early strength and conditioning, and it's that grade we hope that they don't kind of get re-injured because there's sort of a breakdown in communication there. And that kind of excited me because it sort of allowed me to, to bring these two worlds together and sort of fill that, that sort of gray area. So with, yeah, so with FMA, we, we spend a lot of time understanding the mechanics of the lifts rather than just how to lift heavy and how to lift big. You know, we, we teach a lot of them, you know, the, the very fundamentals is that if you want anybody to perform any lift or any technique, you know, the first thing you must do is clear them for the positional demands of that lift or that technique. Because at the end of the day, if they don't have the orthopedic profile needed to meet the positional demands of that lift, then you're, you're playing with injury, you know, you're risking injury. So we kind of, you know, take everyone right back to the basics to really understand the fundamentals before moving them forward into the fun stuff, which is, you know, the, the strength and conditioning and special strengths and, and so forth. So that's kind of what FMA sort of represents. Yeah. So Mark, with the, the principles that you spoke of, if it's possible to sort of outline those, in the gap between rehab and, uh, and full-on strength training, what are some of those foundational principles that you base your systems on? Yeah, well, we, we kind of look at it and go, um, and it's not so true. Now, this used to be, uh, you know, it was a lot truer sort of 10 years ago, but, you know, there's that sort of saying that we, we tend to focus on the point of the body that hurts. You know, so, if so, you know, we, we're very good in the industry in terms of rehabilitation of compartmentalizing the body. So, you know, we have knee specialists, lower back specialists, shoulder specialists. And when an athlete gets an injury, um, so like a back injury, then, you know, a lot of the time we tend to focus on the, the point that hurts, which is the lower back. Yeah. If we focus on the point that hurts, it's kind of like looking at the body through a straw. And, you know, you, you miss the, the bigger picture. So if the lower back isn't really the etiology of the problem, then you're going to miss what really is driving that problem. So to give you an example, you know, let's say we, we've got an athlete that's um, going through some, some GPP phases or strength phases, and they're doing a squat, you know, doing some squats in their workout, and they end up sustaining an injury in the form of a disc injury. Mm -hmm. Right, well what will happen is they'll go into the rehab model and the rehab model is very, very good at dealing with acute injuries and, and traumas and things like that. So they might do some diagnostic tests, they might diagnose that, okay, this athlete sustained like a, a slight disc injury. So that will lead to a whole protocol of rehabilitation based on the pathology, which is a disc injury. So you'll, you'll see them doing things like Barney approach or McKenzie type protocols to centralize the disc, etc. Now that, that's really good with dealing with the pathology, but you know, there's a point we've got to step back and go, okay, how did the injury actually happen? So this is what we kind of teach in FMA. So we teach you that if someone's going to squat, as I made reference to earlier, you know, the most important part to assess is do they actually have the orthopedic profile in place to meet yeah. the positional demands of that technique? Mm. So we often find a lot of athletes have very restricted telocrural joint mobility. So the telocrural joint is basically the, the ankle. Yeah. Right, so it's the part of the ankle that really only allows dorsiflexion and plantar flexion to take place. So if we want someone to squat, and we talk about basic mechanics here, then we've got to realize that with the bar placed on our back, one of the key things we must do in the technique is maintain 
a vertical bar path over the midfoot. So the line of force from the bar passing down through the body kind of keeps in position with the midfoot. Now, in order to do that, we basically have to have the knees progressing over the foot. Now, let's not talk about powerlifting type techniques and, and things like that. We'll talk about just sort yeah. of a standard sort of knee break type squat, right? Well, we need the knee to progress over the foot so the pelvis can drop sort of straight down towards the base of support and keep a very upright sort of hip shoulder line or as we say, you know, torso to maintain bar position over the midfoot. So if the ankle is restricted, then it prevents the knee from progressing over the foot. And if the knee can't progress over the foot, it pushes the pelvis away, which means in order for the athlete to maintain their center of gravity over the base of support, they must compensate at that hip shoulder line, or sorry, their, their torso, mm. and they do that by leaning forward. Yeah. Now, if they have a lot of mobility in their hips, then they can tend to lean forward, keeping a good straight lower back. But most athletes and, and general pops you find are quite restricted through the hips, and they very easily run out of you know range of motion of the hips, so they compensate at the level of the lower back by rounding out. That increases the fault from the loading in the lower back, and there you go. We're just we're looking at an injury waiting to happen. So this is all really important because you know what we need to do in the rehabilitation phase, which is something I figured out about you know many years ago, is that yes, we need to focus on the pathology and and do all the things I mentioned, like extensive uh, McKenzie protocols, etc., to rehab the pathology. But as we start to transition them into axial loading or looking at transitioning them into the next stage of rehab, we've got to ask the question, how do they injure their back? So as an athlete, you have to squat. Great. Well, let's actually clear you for the orthopedic profile for that technique because maybe that's what caused the injury and we should pick up straight away the restriction in the ankle and go, okay, well, while we're fixing your back, we also need to be mobilizing your talocrural joints, sorry, or your ankle joints. Yeah. Um, because if we don't fix the limitation here and get knee progression back over the foot when you go back into your sort of post-rehab strength and conditioning again, then you're probably going to re-injure your back, which is what we see happening a lot to athletes. They get injured, they come out of rehab, they start training again, and they often re-injure themselves, and quite commonly it, it's a, an exacerbation of an old injury. Yeah, so that's how we try to bring the, the two worlds together. Yeah, fascinating. We're talking about the, I guess, the lumbar flexion um, that occurs usually through you know hip mobility and like you said with the the poor ankle mobility I mean do you ever allow it to occur because there's different schools of thought here uh, within the industry and different strength coaches you know what I've been told and as a rule of thumb if it if it occurs below uh, 90 degrees or below parallel and you have do have some lumbar flexion it's it's acceptable um, but if it's mm-hmm. before uh, 90 degrees then that's when the the uh, the issues are. Well, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, the way we the way we look at it is, we go every technique has a has a benefit to risk relationship. Yeah. So, can we say that if someone rounds out their lower back and as they go below below ninety degrees and getting an injury, and the answer is no. And you'll see a lot of lifters actually get a certain amount of lumbar flexion, yeah. um, and not have a history of lower back trauma or problems. But you know, what we've got to do to the best of our ability is, is learn to not use sort of cookie cutter mentality and assess the individual based on the benefit to risk relationships and use science and education to the best of our ability. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at one of the leading authorities on sort of studying the mechanics of the spine and stuff, you know, it'd have to be Stuart McGill. Yes. And, you know, he's done a, a lot of investigation into spinal health and loading and things like that and I remember 
a few years ago I read a study where it was the whole debate about should we get people lifting with a lordotic curve or allow them to round out their lower back because you know in real world situations with power lifters and strongman we will see a lot of lumbar flexion taking place yeah. yeah so he did a study where he got powerlifters in and he was using video fluoroscopy which was a technique that allowed him to actually look in and see what was happening at the level of the spine or the spinal motion segment and he noticed there was two important things that sort of came out of that study the first one was even though it looked like these powerlifters were rounding out their back in terms of segmental contribution to flexion you know, it was nowhere near in-range flexion. So there were still quite a few degrees away from in-range flexion. Yeah. And then one of the powerlifters, unfortunately, lost fine motor control of the metiphytus around, I think it was the level of L2, if I remember correctly. And that spinal motion segment actually tipped into in-range flexion and he actually traumatized and hurt his back on video fluoroscopy. Right. So what we kind of learned from it is that flexion under load is not necessarily a bad thing. As long as you allow for it through, you know, progressive overload, and specific adaptation to the demand of the lift and things like that. Yeah. But it's more in-range flexion under load is very, very compromising to the spine. Yeah. And so that's really the take-home note. So I always say, you know, the difference between weightlifting and powerlifting is, is weightlifting is a, a sport about hitting positions, whereas powerlifting is a sport about holding positions. And you'll yeah. see a lot of good powerlifters go into these very extreme looking positions in terms of a lot of thoracic flexion and even some lumbar sort of flexion but they spend years and years at learning the skill of holding that position yeah yeah you know so i can't remember the the powerlifter's name it was like constant stanton or something like that. it's a rule yeah it's a big name but you know one of the things that he said was is that once he sets up and gets into position which is you know very high hip a lot of flexion that um, he will hold that position regardless of whether he hits the lift or whether he misses it. Okay. He will never get dragged any further out of position because that that's where you risk injury. Yeah. And, and then like, they spend years and years and years building strength, both structurally and functionally, to hold those positions. So when we put it in perspective, it's like, you know, we can allow people to go into flexion, it's just avoid in range flexion. And you can see the people that sort of move out of neutral into some flexion versus the people that start hitting end stage flexion pretty early, they're, they're the high risk people. Yeah, yeah. And then we just gotta make sure that if that's gonna be their, their lifting style, they've gotta actually earn the right to use those leverages because they do offer mechanical advantage to the lift, For sure. but you've actually gotta earn the right to use those by doing your homework, uh, sorry, doing your hard work and building strength and structural integrity to hold that position over time as you increase volume and load accordingly. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think in the industry that's also, um you know, at first glance, you'll see lifters lifting with that, um, I guess, less than, than perfect looking spine with, with some flexion. Uh, and, you know, then they think that's the norm and, and they get on the bar and they, they, they pull some numbers and they go into, you know, horrific cat backing. And, and you see that, I guess, as you call it, the end, end range uh, point of flexion. Yeah. Yeah. One you of know, the things I, it, I hate seeing is someone that, um, either starts neutral, starts getting pulled into flexion as load yeah. goes up, or someone that sort of um, tries to adopt one of these, you know, more mechanically efficient pulling positions or squat yeah. positions. Well, actually, I shouldn't say squat positions because that's different, but the pulling position for the deadlift. And again, you see as the load goes up, you know, they, get, they start dropping further and further, you know, into that position. And mm. those are all, you know, indications that they're moving more into the wrist side of the lift rather than the benefit. Yeah. I, I guess what you say there mark about actually having to earn that position is um 
Ring's very true. I mean, one of the things that Rod and I try and make a point of on this program when we're talking about it is whatever concepts we discuss, it's things that we've either used individually or yeah. Clean Health collectively use it, and it's not a blanket rule across anything. There's mm -hmm. In this industry, there's multiple ways to skin many cats, and it's hard to have any absolutes. And I guess when you produce, like what you have, a strength training system, which has to be rolled out and taught to people that there are absolutes within that system, but yet the individual is important. And I think earning yeah, a, uh, a good point, you know, is is crucial because everyone is different. You yeah. know, everyone ha will have their own technique and their their bodies. Everyone's body moves in a certain different way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah fascinating. And it's 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 it makes industry exciting, but it also makes teaching very hard because everyone yeah. wants the. Uh, you know, no, tell me right now what's the best way to do it sort of yeah. you know, mindset but it's a little like um, Mark it's a little like programming you know it's a tell me the best program to get strong it's like yeah. well <laughs> you know lots of programs will work you know um, so well, yeah. yeah Mark once you have got someone sufficiently rehabilitated and you're happy with their movement patterns what are your go-to systems for then developing maximal strength for maximal strength yeah, um, yeah. We, we start off and we just use a sort of basic sort of category we look at someone in terms of their lifting experience we go are they are they novice you know are they, they intermediate or are they sort of like getting to an intermediate or advanced and you know if someone's we sort of kind of have a progression so if someone's a, like a complete novice then the most important thing is that they've got to actually get some time and experience under the bar under the bar yep yeah so they've got to learn basic techniques so we use just a, a very basic linear progression type approach so when you look at the stress recovery adaptation cycles for a, like a novice lifter, right, well there's someone that can pretty much respond to training very, very quickly and also recover within like 48 hours to hit like another weight increment yeah. on the lift in the very next workout. Yep. So we, we maximize that. Um, so we, we basically put them on a basic linear progression where every sort of 48 hours as we go through the lifts, um, there's an increment on, on the bar each workout. Excellent. Now, eventually, that, that comes to an end. I mean, it'd be lovely if we could you know, keep <laughs> adding weight to the bar every single workout, yeah, <laughs> but perfect it world. doesn't. Yeah, so, you know, after we've done, like, a couple of deloads, which basically means, so, you know, they're, they're getting to a point where both volume and intensity are becoming very high, and their ability to recover from both that volume and intensity is, is not going to happen within 48 hours. So one of the first things we do is we often deload them, which gives their body a little bit of chance of recovery, which might be just taking 10, 15% off the bar. Yep. And then yep. we work them back up again. And quite often they will go back up to that weight and beyond where they, they sort of stalled in, in the last time. Awesome. But eventually they, they, they come to a point where we go, they can no longer keep making gains as a novice lifter because now the intensity is getting so high, we actually need a longer recovery phase between yep. these workouts. And it's quite funny you know, when you think about it, you know, an intermediate lifter is actually someone that needs to slow down progress. Hmm. You know, like we think it's taking a step up and going to that next level. In actual fact, it's the point now where we've got to actually step up and, and sort of slow things down hmm. because they're now transitioning into a stress recovery adaptation cycle that needs a lot more stress to stimulate an adaptive response. But, yes. in, in, but the, you know, the, the side effect of having a lot more stress is it takes a lot more recovery. So we have to start slowing things down. And Mark, yeah. is that is that recovery cycle once they get to an intermediate stage? Is that a a muscular adaptation or a neural adaptation, which you know needs more time? Yeah, it's kind of a bit of both because we tend to use sort of like around five reps for that. 
Yep. So yeah. a, a good outline of it, just a very general approach to doing that is with Mark Ruppetto's book, Starting Strength. Um, and he, he talks a lot about how they've done EMG studies with, with the five reps and it was, um, it was heavy enough to cause a, like a, a neuromuscular type response and to build strength with some sort of you know, hypertrophy. And he also talks about it from a technique and um, grooving the lift type perspective as well, where yep. you know after five reps the technique starts to break down. So it was a good way to build strength, some mass, and good quality repetitions. The sweet spot. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of it kind of it's like a sweet spot. So once we hit that intermediate now, and this this is where I, I look at well, you know the main thing is is what is it we're trying to achieve with the program. So. If someone's ability is to try and prove what's called FMM or maximum maximum strength, which is like absolute strength, then yeah, we've got to start taking them into the path of increasing intensity and moving more towards you know like the the 85% plus type lifting phase. Yeah. So we kind of look at it and go, a novice lifter who uses fives will kind of max out when they kind of peak it around the, the true sort of 85%, which is sort of like around your, your five RM sort of weight. And then we shift them into the intermediate phase. And now, because as I mentioned before, the stress recovery adaptation cycle takes longer because we need more stress, more recovery time, then instead of just having constant volume and a peaking, peaking, peaking intensity each workout, now we've got to sort of spread it out and give them more of like an accumulation phase and intensification phase. So what we do there is we transition them into starting to hit the heavy threes now. So what I like to do is, um, you know, one of the things I learned from Louis Simmons is the concept of you know, accommodation. And that is, we've got to look at it and go, there's a point at which a stressor stops becoming a stressor to the body. And if it's not a stressor, we no longer adapt to it. You know, and one of Louis' quotes was, you know, we adapt to training by never adapting to training. <laughs> yeah. And that, that really holds true. So what I do is, they've come from their five, so we transition them into threes. And what we do now is with the threes, we keep using the, sort of the competition lifts, but with the fives, because they're kind of technically accommodated to how much fives they can do with volume intensity with you know, the standard lifts, then that's where I'll start bringing in like lift variants. So now when they're doing their fives, for volume we will use like a safety squat bar or a cambered bar depending on what we want to hit while we go into the transition to the threes using the competition techniques. Yep. Because what you realize is that when you start going above 85% 1RM, it's a completely different animal altogether. They've got to learn a different skill set in terms of grooving that technique and learning the real skill of staying tight under these loads. Yeah. So a simple technique I do that, that works very, very well is that we, as we transition them into their first phase of getting prepped for max effort training, we take them up to a heavy three. So we, we do a lot of bar speed work. So we'll look at the point at which their bar speed drops off on their, thir- on their third rep mm-hmm. and then we will hit around you know three to five singles with that weight so what we have on the bar is a weight that they can do for three reps which is getting close to now you know the, the 85 to the 90 plus range and now we get to focus on you know doing three to five good quality singles where they unrack the bar they stay tight and they demonstrate good bar path down and then they hit the bar up, you lock it out, and then they rack it again. Mm. And we'll often measure those bar speeds as well to teach them all you know, about the intention of bar speed acceleration and things like that. And then we will do a, a phase of that, and then eventually when 
they can handle a workload of going up to five to seven singles with that three weight, yeah. um, which keeps peaking as well. So we have an intensification phase. So we'll keep that three will keep getting heavier and heavier as as we build volume with it. Then we start to move them towards learning how to hit the heavy singles, and then they've earned the right um, to be considered like an advanced intermediate. How long would that process take, Mark, if you were taking someone from novice all the way through? Yeah, it, it varies. Um, like some people can really milk the novice program for quite a few months. Yeah. Um, others others start to crash and burn. You know, like like a month and a half to, to two months. So it, it, it's all very varied, and this is why you know we always obey that law of individual difference. So we're always monitoring each person, and we switch them over at the point at which they're, they're no longer getting any benefit. You know, from the novice yep. program. But the one thing we stress is that. You know, the strength game really is a game of patience. You don't yeah. want to rush it. You know, you really want to get the most out of the novice before transitioning into the intermediate, and you want to get the most out of that. You know, the, the only time we sort yeah. of change and speed up a little bit is if someone wants to compete. Mm. But we try to tell the athletes, you know, it's, the, it's, the, it's a balancing game by giving them just enough stimulus so they can recover to adapt, and we want to you know, milk those phases as long as possible. And that's when you get the, the real gains that, that last. The, the, the people that rush it, try to get through it too quick. They, they miss those opportunities. And, you know, the old saying sort of holds true, faster the gains, the, the faster the loss Yeah, yeah as well. Um, you mentioned uh, bar speed with the, uh, the Tendo unit, I think it's called, measuring the bar speed in, in one of the phases um, you spoke about then. As a general mm-hmm. rule of thumb with, with strength work, are you always, uh, you know, the concentric phase is always an explosive movement? You mentioned Louis Simmons. I know you know bar speed uh, for him's a, a, a massive thing, and he, and he quotes his lifters as being the fastest, you know, pull compared to Olympic lifters and whatnot. Uh, like, is that a fundamental across the board for for you in regards to strength training? It's always a, you know, an explosive concentric phase. Explosive? Con- no, not really. I mean, again, it all comes down to to what we're doing. So, there's no sort of heavy weights and light weights. You've got fast weights and you've got slow weights. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you start crossing over eighty-five percent, ninety percent, you know, you, 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 the bar speeds will slow down. So it doesn't matter how hard you're trying to move, the, how fast you're trying to move it, the, the bar speeds will be slow. For so sure. you know, if you look at the different bar speeds, we've got you know explosive strength, which is fast strength, and you do that with body weight. That's where your box jumps, your explosive jumps, and things. Yeah. Then you've got speed strength, which is sort of like your intermittent speeds. Then you've got strength speed, which is your slow speeds. And then you've got basically zero, which is your, your isometric. Yeah. You know, so again, it, it really comes down to to what it is you want to achieve with the, the athlete or, or the client. So, you know, when we look at strength, Zatsky-Worski shows that there's three ways of developing strength. We've got the max effort method, the dynamic effort method, and we have the repeated effort method. Now, max effort method would be like your strength speed. So we're using right. loads greater than like about 90% and the external bar speeds are going to be quite low. Yep. Dynamic effort is your, your speed strength. This is your intermittent speed. This is where you've got anywhere from 40 to 80% one arm on the bar, depending on the lift, and external bar speeds will be quite high. And then you've got your repeated effort method, which is more you know, your, your method for increasing hypertrophy. So we know that you know, if you increase the cross-sectional area of a muscle, you increase its ability to produce force. Yeah. So yep. those, those three systems are very important um, for strength development. But what we need to do is go, what is it that my client or athlete needs? 
Yeah. So, you know, if you go back, I think it's like around the, the 60s, the Soviets did a lot of research looking at, you know, accommodating the strength curve using accommodating resistance cha chains and bands and yeah. things. And a lot of their emphasis was pretty much on the concentric phase of the lift. But, you know, there's a, it's called triphasic training by um, a guy called Carl Dietz. And right. he shows his studies where, you know, how important the eccentric phase actually is of the lift. And he calls it the V. So basically what we, we can see with his, his lifters is that the faster you have it, so the faster the eccentric phase of the lift is, the, or the faster you can you know, absorb that eccentric phase, yeah. then the greater you can displace it by potentiating the concentric, meaning faster down, faster up. Yeah. I mean, a, a great example of that is a, one of the Westside boys, his name's Matty Smith. And, you know, he did, they, they were measuring, so they weren't using the tendo unit for this, but they were just measuring bar speed based on time. And he had 550 pounds of just plate weight on the bar. And he squatted down onto the box and then came back up again. And he had an eccentric phase of 0 0.9 seconds and then a concentric phase of 0 0.9 seconds. They yeah. then added <laughs> 200 pounds of band tension to the bar. So now the realized weight at the top was 750 pounds yeah. and around 550 to 600 pounds on the box because it's not a full deload. Yeah. And this time he went down at a speed of 0 0.5 seconds for the eccentric yeah. and he came up at 0 0.5 seconds for the concentric. Really? <laughs> right. Freak. So this is, this is the beauty. So what we look at, and this is all about what we teach in level two working with athletes, is that you know kinetic energy is half mass times velocity squared so velocity has a big part to play mm. and you know we can use you know things like chains to accommodate the strength curve but bands are a great way of accelerating the eccentric phase so with my athletes we do a lot of band work because the faster down the faster up and it teaches them to be very explosive so when you combine speed strength work you know manipulating band tensions with explosive strength work, which I said, you know, is your fast speed work, you know, with box jumps and, and explosive jumps and that. Well, that, then you're giving athletes a real tool in the toolbox that's going to help them in their performance. But, you know, if you've got a, an athlete that needs a lot more absolute strength and they need a lot more body size and body mass, well, then you've got to pay homage to the good old-fashioned bodybuilding techniques to increase the cross-section area of the muscle. Yeah. So we have in our program a lot of repeated effort stuff. You know, and Brad Schoenfield's a, a great, great resource for that where he talks about, you know, the, the three sort of main mechanisms for hypertrophy and that's um, one's mechanical tension, the other one is metabolic stress, yeah. which is your good old fashioned, you know, the pump as Arnie would call it, yeah. and the third yeah. one is, is, you know, is um, mus like muscle damage. Yeah. You know, so if my athlete needs to be, um, you know, more stronger and explosive in the lower part of the body but they need more upper body mass, say because they play rugby, um, then we'll do a lot of progressions of different speeds for the lower body, but we'll do some good old body building techniques to, to help Classics. put some size in the upper body. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's the beauty, because when you look at, you know, we're talking about stress recovery adaptation cycles of athletes, well, the great thing is, is that when you're dealing with a novice or an intermediate athlete, like, they don't actually need block periodization, or as Verkashansky would call the conjugate sequence system. You know, novice and intermediates, can still make great gains on concurrent, or also yes. known as parallel training systems, which basically means that we can train competing and multiple, you know, motor abilities within the same mesocycle or within the same week. So it allows me now within a one-week block to have phases where I'm training maximal strength and repeated effort or bodybuilding type stuff in one yeah, workout right. with speed strength and explosive strength, 
and doing some GPP work to get sort of VO2 up and all that, all in the same block. Holy moly. We were talking about the perfect program. That that sounds like that could be the holy grail. (laughs) Holy grail. Yeah, Yeah. but you got to know, you know, but remember, you know, you're always competing with the law of adaptation, so you've got to know how to cycle things. Um, But yeah, like, this is what we teach in level two now. Like, program design isn't meant to be hard. You know, when you become a very advanced elite athlete, well, that's someone who's pretty much taking their ability for volume and intensity to the max. Yes. Um, so, you know, what they need now is if they want to keep making improvements in strength or speed, they've got to do very focused blocks of training and overreaching to keep making improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, novice and intermediates don't need that. You know, we can have so much fun with novice and intermediate lifters, and especially with athletes, it's, it's great. Yeah. So, when you understand just a few basic principles, you, it becomes very easy to look at them and go, okay, you need this, you need this, you need yeah. this. Um, we're going to use a concurrent parallel training system. We're going to hit your weaknesses. Always give the athlete what they don't have, um, while giving them what they need, and it's as easy as that. Simple. Mark, it's fascinating. We could talk to you all day, Mark. We have run out of time. How do people contact you or get involved in FMA if they've been enticed by um, all of these uh, systems that, that you're talking about at the moment? Pearls mate? of wisdom. Yeah, just um, uh, we've got you know a presence on Facebook. We've got yeah. my uh, my website, which is fmastrengthtraining.com. Um, and just, just flick me a message and I'm happy to help out and answer any questions and do what I can to help. Yeah, he's, he's very good like that. He, he'll uh, respond back to you, one of those guys that actually does respond to email. So it's awesome, Because I have no life. <laughs> hey, you're in paradise over in Columbia, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's sunny here yeah, too, true. though, so. All right, awesome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the FMA courses, level one and two, uh, are sort of popping up um, all throughout the year. So get online and check out when the next course is and uh, you can't go wrong doing it. Really appreciate your um, your wisdom, Mark. Thank you for your time. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for the interest in FMA. Appreciate it. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. Yes, that has been another episode of Under the Bar with Rodan and Tom. Really good to have Mark Buckley on the show. It uh, was. A wealth of knowledge. Mate, it was, uh, he had a, an amazing knack of making us sound uh, stupid, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Mark, yes, we agree. Yes. But uh, yeah, it was awesome to have him on. Strength training, from our perspective, Rawdon at Clean Health, like we mentioned, it's more of an investment in your future hypertrophy gains. Yep. It does have a lot of benefits for yep. building muscle. Yep. Obviously, you get to tap into those fast twitch fibers. Yep. Nervous system adaptation, great for cognitive function. Uh, that has been the show. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd want to be a part of it or have any ideas, send us an email, podcast at cleanhealth.com.au. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> <laughs>